Well, God bless you all. How are you? That's great, isn't it? Oh, I'm pretty well, thank you. Pretty well. Uh, I love this little intimate 11 o'clock. It's really just cool. It's really good. Um, I just, yeah, I'm excited what God's going to do. I feel like God's got a, a great word for us this morning. Um, I think we're going to get, we're going to land in the same place we landed at the nine o'clock, but I think we might take a slightly different road occasionally in order to get there, but God's, God's good. Uh, firstly, hello to everyone online. Yeah, say good day to us, give us a shout, uh, like, share, all those things. We want the gospel to go out to the ends of the earth, uh, not just to the halls of the done. Um, so let's proclaim this message. That's why we're doing it. Uh, if you're a part of our church family, who can't be here today. Bless you. We love you. We're praying for you. Great to have you on board. Hey, we're in Hebrews, everybody. Who's excited about Hebrews? Well, we're going to need more energy than that. I'll tell you that right now. Who's excited about Hebrews? There we go. Fantastic. Some of you are looking at me like I'm weird, but that's all right. I am a bit different. We're all a bit different, aren't we? God's good. Uh, we're in Hebrews. Um, if you haven't been able to join us for the first couple of weeks of this series, gosh, it's a good book, isn't it? And it's a book that's proclaiming that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is the Lord of all things. He is great and he is mighty. And it, it's, it's urging us to see the Old Testament through the eyes of Christ and recognize that the, the things that are instituted in the Old Testament are the types, they're the shadows and they point to Christ. Uh, and so, so often I think we get caught up in the shadow. Sometimes we worship the shadow. Sometimes we uh, get frustrated with the shadow. But actually the whole point is that we're not supposed to worship the shadow. We're supposed to worship the one who's casting that shadow and understand that the Old Testament in all of its magnificence and sometimes its complexity and confusion is pointing to Christ, the fulfillment of all things. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to bunker down in Hebrews 3 and 4. This is rich and deep, and we're not going to read all of it right now. We are just going to jump in and out, and we're going to uh, read some of it in the NIV, but we're going to start in the ESV, because the ESV is probably a more literal word-for-word translation, and sometimes we need exactly that because it will, re- it will unveil a word Uh, which produces a meaning that sometimes the NIV doesn't quite hit when it's actually fairly significant. So we're going to go to Hebrews 3, verse 1 through 6 to start with from the ESV. says this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. That is a full-on statement to this audience. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Everyone say son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Let's jump forward to verse 12. So take care, brothers and sisters, let there be any 
of you, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And then it talks a bit about Moses and disobedience. And we'll jump over to chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Amen, Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. All right, how many of you know that you should never go shopping, grocery shopping, whilst hungry? Anyone here? How many of you continue to do so, even though you know that you should not do it? I personally am an absolute stinker when it comes to this. Uh, when I go shopping and I am full, I've had a good feed, Dan, some bacon and eggs or something like that to get the, the system going, I have such uh, clarity of thought in the shopping centre I have such a strength of character in the shopping centre. I'm able to walk in there and the bakery section as you enter is always right there. And then the chocolates are always right there. And when I'm full and I'm feeling good, what do I do? I just walk straight past that thing. And the kids will be like, Dad, Dad. And I'm just like, no. Cucumbers. We're getting cucumbers and carrots and we're getting these things. But if I go hungry, it's trouble. Because what happens is I have two voices. I've got Hungry Dave and I've got Healthy Dave. And Hungry Dave walks in there and he smells that smell and he's like, ooh, chocolate chip muffins, here we go. And so immediately I'm like drawn to the chocolate chip muffins, but then Healthy Dave pipes up and says, you don't need that. It's not for you. You don't need that. Carry on. Go back to the cucumbers. And, and it just becomes this weird battle. I don't know if anyone else is like this, but it's, I sort of do like loops of the thing, like... I'll look at it and then I'll go away from it, but then I find myself straight back where I was and then I'll come back and I'll just keep going back and forth, back and forth, like even picking it up and looking at the ingredient list and trying to justify 15 grams of sugar is okay in this moment. Like, I don't, is, is it just me or does anyone have that battle when you're hungry that you're drawn to these things that you know are not good for you? Because the body craves, doesn't it? Like when we're not full, when we don't have sustenance, when we're not uh, filled up, we crave something, anything to fill that need. Are you with me? Uh, Joe and I, a couple of weeks ago, this like became so apparent. We were doing, um, we were doing a bit of a fast and it was great, uh, but we had to still do our weekly shop because the kids weren't doing that. And so we went shopping, but we weren't a little bit hungry. We were a lot hungry and it was hilarious because we were like every single aisle that we went down, as we went down that aisle, we'd stop and just be like, oh, that looks amazing. We should buy that. Oh, what about that? I even stopped aisle five where there's that international section. You know what I'm talking about? Like they don't put, there's chocolate bars in that section, but they're not in the chocolate bar section. They're in the international section because no one wants to buy them. So they just do a stock a little bit and they put it, of course Leona does, but you're an international, no you're not, you're home, we love you. <laughs> but there's all the stuff there that no one really buys at stock. I even went past that and I kid you not, I walked up and I stopped and I paused and said, Joe, oh, 
Dr. Pepper. <laughs> what? <laughs> Who likes Dr. Pepper? Nobody. <laughs> Terrible stuff. And yet for some reason I was drawn to it because the body craves like we were empty and we just needed something, anything to fill that gap. And it was funny, I was reflecting on that coming out of that, that season of fasting in this text and I just couldn't help but think that this is exactly the same thing with the soul, isn't it? The soul craves, like the physical represents something much deeper that's going on within the life of every single human being, that we are craving something to fill a need. And if we don't fill it with that which provides true and genuine sustenance and nourishment, we will search down the aisles of this world looking for anything to fill that gap. We'll even stop at aisle five. And we'll be like, I'll try that, I'll try that. And we see this in our world, we see it in the church, we see it, I see it in my own life, the times where I'm, I'm not acknowledging that there's something within me that needs that feeling and I'll chase something else. When, and it can be anything, like we can look, it can be friendship, it can be, even be stuff that we would say is good stuff, it can be love, it can be family, it can be wanting to have children, it can be, you know, looking to climb the ladder of whatever we're profession we're in, it can be Instagram followers, it can, it can be anything that we're searching for, for meaning, to fill that craving of the soul. And this is what the author of Hebrews is going to speak into in these two incredibly deep, profound chapters that we're going to look at today, because what he wants us to see is, yes, the soul craves, but there is an answer to that craving. That won't just sustain for a moment, but will endure forever. And he wants to point us to this. It is this incredible, beautiful, powerful thing. And some of you know how much I love C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis talks about this craving when he says, if I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, I can only conclude that I was not made for this world. And he's speaking of this soul craving. There's something, nothing in this world can satisfy. Therefore, I'm not made for this world. French philosopher Pascal talked about the God-shaped hole. You would have heard it. He says, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man, which cannot, and woman, he wrote this in 17th century. So it's not, you know, gender-friendly language, Sorry. But he says, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing. Ecclesiastes 3.11, Solomon, the, great, the wisest man to ever live on this planet, says, God has put eternity in the hearts of men and women. There is something that the soul craves. There is a hunger. And what Hebrews wants us to do is not go shopping with a hungry heart in the halls of our world of our culture, but to come to the one who can fill it once and for all. Because what Hebrews is going to show us is actually what the soul needs is not money, it's not power, it's not partying, it's not relationship, it's not a successful business, it's not climbing the ladder of your professional career, it's not acceptance, it's not family, it's not fame, it's not recognition, it's none of these things, it's not retirement, it's not, it's rest. 
And he's not talking about that rest that we all love at the end of a big day when we've come home and we're exhausted and we go to our spot on our couch, for those of you who have a couch, and you pull up your cushion and you grab your remote control and you start to bend the knees and you go, oh, and you plonk back in that chair and you put your feet up and you put your favourite show on and you're like, yes. It's not that that he's talking about because that, guess what, comes to an end. Because you've got to get up You've got to go to bed, you've got to wake up, and you've got to do it all over again. That's not the rest that he's speaking of. That's not, fi- that's not final. It's, it's not enduring. It's, it's a momentary thing that, that feeds a physical need but speaks to a deeper reality. It's not the holiday that we go on and that we crave, that we're like, if, just, if I can just get through this season and have a break, I'm going to go to Bali, I'm going to go here, I'm going to lie on the beach and serenade my wife. I'm going to, I don't know if anyone would do that, but... You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and I'm going to rest. I'm going to find rest in these things. And actually what we find is the holiday comes to an end. And life goes back to as it was. And all of a sudden we need another break, don't we? I think I've told you before, like when I was teaching the amount of times you'd come to the end of your Christmas holidays and within the first week I'd walk past someone and I'd say, how you going, mate? It'd be like only nine weeks and three days to go, mate. Craving rest. But that rest will never satisfy because that's not the rest that God has for us. It's a shadow. It points to a deeper reality and a deeper need. And what the author of Hebrews wants us to see is that there is a rest that endures, that is eternal, that will end the soul's striving. And in two magnificent chapters that are rich and are deep and are complicated. There's a simple message that there is a rest for your soul. So receive it in Jesus' name. And here's what he's going to do, and this is what we're going to try and look through. He's going to point us towards three things. He's going to tell us what that rest is. And then what he's going to do is he's going to tell us how we can obtain it. And then what he's going to do is he's going to warn us about falling away from it. And so we're going to have a look at that. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, um, let's just sit here for a moment in, in Hebrews 4. Like as, as we go to chapter 3, we read the part about Moses. So we're going to get there. It talked about how Jesus is greater than Moses. And then in, in 7 through 11, it, it looks at the, this, this prophetic word that comes so, uh, from Psalm 95. So if the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. It's talking about the wilderness wanderings of Israel, how they hardened their hearts and they didn't enter into the promised land. And so then he says, see to it that you don't have an unbelieving heart. And, and then t- again, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It says it multiple times. That's chapter three. And then we come to chapter four and it says, therefore, since the promise of entering this rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach. We'll talk about that in a minute. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they united, not because they were not united by faith with those who listen. As I swore on my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. Now here's where we're going to get stuck into it. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. Now interestingly, when he wrote this, there was not Genesis 2-2. The divisions of chapter and verse came much, much, much later. This is not a senior moment. 
This author's like not forgotten where it was said. He knows where it was said. He's just, it's just language, all right? For he was somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted today. How many times does he have to say it? If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So what are we seeing here? There's five points in history that the author wants us to see. The first one is creation. The second one is Moses, the law, the wilderness wandering. The third one is Joshua. So when they actually pass through the Jordan into the promised land. The fourth one is King David where Israel is established as a kingdom and they're ruling in Jerusalem and things are going well for them with this great mighty king. And the fifth one is today, August 2, 2020, in the beautiful township of Verdun on a lovely sunny chilly morning. These are the five points in history and he wants to show us, he's painting a picture right here of the nature of rest and, and the rest that our souls crave. And so we're going to start right here in Genesis 2, 2 to 3, where it says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he what? He rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it he rested from the work of creating that he had done. Here's the question I ask myself and I ask you, why did God rest? Was he tired? Was he fatigued? Had he come to the end of six days of labour and thought, jeepers I could do with a corona right now? Had he... Had he rested? Amen. Sometimes, all right, we're not going there. Why was he resting? Why did he rest? What was the purpose of his resting? And I want to suggest to you, as the author of Hebrews wants to suggest to you, that actually God in creation from the very beginning is actually resting because he wants to put a shadow. He wants to put a, a seed in there that humanity would know what it was created for. He rested so that we would know that our purpose and our, our, the, the reason that he's made us is that we might find rest in him. It's not because he was tired, it's because he wanted us to see the need for rest in him. That we would walk in the cool of the day with our Lord, naked and unashamed, it says. What does that mean? That means that there's no striving. It means that there's no sense of, well, I have to try and please God. It just means that, God, here I am. I am fully known. And in being fully known and fully embraced by a holy God, I have complete peace, rest, free from all the stuff of this world that would say, I must do this so that I can be. If I can just do this, then I'll fit. If I can just do this, then I'll belong. No, you do belong in the heart of God because he made you in his image and he loves you and he adores you and he wants so much for you to enter that rest and he put it in there before the fall. 
Now, for those of you who hear the fall and you're sitting there going, did he trip? No. When we talk about the fall, what we're talking about, it's a, Christ, like it's a, it's a church word that is basically talking about sin, right? When we talk about the fall, we talk about the moment that humanity in Adam and Eve chose to trust in themselves, chose like when we talk about eating the fruit, it's about choosing self-sufficiency over reliance on God. It's about the worship of self over the worship and obedience of God. And that's sin. And in that moment, the fall, that relationship and that rest was severed. But there was already a picture of what God was going to do in Christ. Friends, this is so profound. Because what he's saying is Jesus is not an afterthought. Jesus is not, like, God's not fooled or frustrated. God's not sitting there going, oh my goodness, I did not see that coming. I cannot believe that they did that. What am I going to do now? It's not, oh, I've got a great idea. Let's send the son to suffer and die for all humanity and then raise to life so we can fix each. No, Jesus saw it coming from the, the beginning of time. It says that Jesus is the lamb slain from the creation of the world. It's a big concept to wrap our heads around, but let me simplify it. Simply, God knew. God knew what we were going to do and his plan and his purpose to bring us into the seventh day rest that he put at the beginning of creation was always in play. That we would enter rest. And he's like, I've put it here that you would know what you were created for and I'm sending my son to provide a way that you can re-enter it. And that seventh day rest is profound because on day one, two, three, four, five, and six, it says there was morning and there was evening. Day seven, there is nothing. There is no morning. There is no evening. There is only rest. It's speaking of an internal, enduring, incredible state of shalom with God. God. Genesis. And that's what the author of Hebrews declares. And then he goes on and he says, but friends, I want you to understand that you can't enter this rest through any striving of your own. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how successful you are. It doesn't matter how good you look. It doesn't matter how brilliant your mind may be. You cannot enter this rest apart from the sun. You just can't do it. And the illustration that he brings us to is Moses and the wilderness. And he starts to talk about how these people uh, in this passage are wandering around but they didn't combine the work of God with faith. Like God brought them through Egypt. He brought them, sorry, out of Egypt. He brought them through the Red Sea. Through the Red Sea. It didn't just, it's not a little thingy that he did. And he brought them out of there and they went through the wilderness and they were standing on the edge of the Jordan River looking at the promise of God, the promised land. And they sent spies into that place and the spies come back and two of them are like, God's on our side, we've got this, no worries. And everyone else is like, we can't possibly achieve this because these people are really tall. Read the scripture. It's literally their reason. They're tall. We can't defeat them. 
God's like, I just parted the Red Sea. I just, I just destroyed the most powerful nation on earth, and what did you do? Nothing. You didn't go and take the frogs and put them in Pharaoh's palace. It wasn't a secret you know, thing that we did together. No, I did that. Do you honestly think I can't defeat six foot three? Do you honestly think I can't bring you into the rest I promised you? And the people say, no, no, we don't. It's heart-wrenching. But friends, I want to, we do this every single day. We look at the world and we're like, oh, God can't possibly do that. Because they're six foot three. Because my mountain's pretty tall. I, like, you know, I don't know if God's got that covered. And what he wants us to see is there's nothing that he can't do to bring us to rest because he's already done it in the sun. And so he points to this beautiful story of how God then he brings them through the wilderness and he and he brings about the Sabbath. Like when we talk Moses, we're talking law, and he wants us to see the the Sabbath that God ordains the Sabbath. If you've got your Bibles, we'll go there now. Exodus 29 and 11. He says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your death. I find that funny. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not just you shouldn't do work. I'm going to really spell it out for you what's supposed to happen here. Rest! For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord has blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Friends, it's supposed to remind us that God is our provider. It's supposed to remind us that the point of all things is God. And friends, the reason God tells us to physically rest, the reason he tells us to stop working and actually to put stuff aside and engage in the Sabbath is not because it's a law that he just wants us to obey. It's because when we do that, we realize that he's the one who meets our needs and provides for all our needs. That it could be gone in a moment. Every breath is a gift. And as we stop and we stop working, he actually charged Israel one year out of every seven to do no work, to not farm the land whatsoever. And if you're in an agrarian culture, an agricultural culture, where you make your living off the land and God says, don't till it, don't sow it, don't harvest it, just chill. You're like, what? (laughs) How am I supposed to eat, Lord? But what he wants them to see is that actually by resting, it's teaching them to trust in the provision of God. Just trust in the provision of God. And as you're same with tithing. The reason we tithe is not because we like the church is trying to manipulate people out of their money. <laughs> it's because it's supposed to teach us that actually God is my provider. And so as I give financially, God provides. In fact, He magnifies, He increases. Deuteronomy 5.15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. Before I explain that, I just had a thought while I was reading that. Also, that's why we're not going to get up here as a church and try and do the manipulative money talk. How annoying is that? When you go to a conference or something and they do the whole manipulation of money, it's just rubbish and it's nonsense. Like if, Anyway. 
Amen. What's the point? So God's commanding us to observe a physical Sabbath so that we would know that he is our provider, that he is for us, but also that we would know that he is the one who brings about salvation. He's the one who delivers us. It's pointing us back to Genesis. It's pointing us to Christ. It's pointing us to the fact that he's the one who can meet the craving of the soul and only him, nothing else through the story of Moses and Israel. And then he goes to Joshua. Then he goes to Joshua. For if Joshua, verse 8, had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. He's like, hey, guys, the promised land that you went into eventually, that's still not the rest God has for you. That's still not the fulfillment of what he has ordained for his people who would trust in him because they're still striving. There's still labor, there's still worry, there's still fret, there's still fear, there's still all of these things accompanied with the promised land. Now the promised land is a picture of the eternal enduring rest God was going to bring in Christ. Because Jesus is greater. And then he mentions David and he wants us straight away. Remember, like for those of you who are here in the first couple of weeks, we talked about the fact that this author is presuming knowledge. When he says David, the audience he's speaking to in their minds are like, oh, King David, the greatest king Israel ever had, the height of our glorious kingdom when we were just like things were going well. That's what springs to mind. He's like, even there, David says, we haven't got rest yet. Even there, David prophesies of a rest that is to come. He's like, you haven't, like, you can't get rest through striving. And then he speaks of today, therefore today he's saying that the rest has come in Christ. For the word of God is alive and active. It's, what is Jesus? He's the word made flesh. The word of God is alive. Christ is alive and active, sharper. He'll penetrate. He'll get through the armor. He'll get through the defenses. He'll get through the striving. He'll get through the worry and the fret and the fear. And he will bring that living marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You can't hide from him, but we need that rest that only he can provide. Great history lesson, Dave. What are you saying? What I'm saying very simply is this. Jesus is our rest. Aisle five will not provide. The worries, the frets of this world will never be sustained, satisfied is the word I was after, Jared, through the things of this world. Only Christ. Only Christ. Can I say it again? Only Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. That's what it was talking about in Genesis. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, everything, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Are you catching this? And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the what? The supremacy. He's supreme. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Are you catching it? 
all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the promised rest from the creation of the world for the people of God. Full stop. So how do we obtain it? Because I look around the church, I look in my life, and there are many days where I do not have rest. I actually just wrote a paper on this. <laughs> you know when like, you're studying something and you're preparing something and God's just like, <laughs> that's what my week has been. We strive. We strive so much. You know, there's so many stumbling blocks to this. And this is where we're going to change course from this morning. Because yesterday, I had just the most interesting experience where I, I caught up with probably my two oldest friends in the world. Um, people who I met, I, I have a vivid memory. I met them when I was at mum's basketball game when I was probably three years old. And I was in a dressing gown and Ugg boots and they were just in pyjamas and I thought they were so cool. <laughs> you know, because Ugg boots are goofy back then and... <laughs> They were awesome. And then they stole my boots and I didn't like them anymore for a while. And then we had to res- you know, work our way through that. And anyway, we became great friends. And, uh, and it's funny, these guys, like I went to primary school with them. We shared high school a little bit. And ever since then, it's just every now and then we come back into each other's lives. And I had not seen these guys for five years. Five years, identical twins. And there's some, you know, when there's just that relationship, there's something about it. Anyway, yesterday, for whatever reason, we caught up. We had a beer down at the pub. And I thought it was going to be an hour and a half. Four hours later, we're still talking. It's, gone. it's dark. Joe's ringing me. Where are you? The kids are saturated. It's like because they're playing in the creek and it's freezing. <laughs> and we were just immersed in this profoundly deep conversation. Because I, you know, like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm a pastor. And there was this awkward silence. And then half an hour later, it was just bleh. And I love these two guys with all of my heart and all of my soul. And I just listen to them tell their story about they've been involved in, I guess, in big Pentecostal church. Like they've, they've, they've been on stages of what we would say are significant churches in our nation and our world. And they have been so profoundly hurt. So hurt. And I listen, and I, I apologise time and time again. And they just kept saying, like, like I said, oh, we're not going to deny the divine. We can't, de- like, I look at the world. He's like, look at my kid. I can't deny that God is here. I can't deny a divine creator. I can't do that. He goes, but Jesus, meh. The Bible, do I really need that? He's like, from, it's a great marketing ploy. He's like, but oh, my heart was just aching and breaking and I'm like you've missed it because it's all about Christ he I said like you know think you're a father would you not want to know your son as your son grows would you not want him to know you more would you not want to have that depth of relation he goes of course I want but that's the same with God but he's perfect and holy and we aren't, we've fallen. And he had to come to us and he had to bear our burden. The only way he could do that was to become our brother, to come in the flesh, Christ, God incarnate, to draw us to himself. Like it's all about Jesus. It's not about this. It's not about production. It's All of that is rubbish and it's nonsense and we get so caught up in it and it's caused so many people to be so broken and so hurt because they think it's all just a charade. And I said, Jesus' heart is breaking for you and my heart is breaking for you. Would you, I just, it's Jesus. 
It's just Jesus. And four hours, we went back and forth, and we're going to continue to catch up, and I'm praying for them. I ask that you'd pray for them too, that healing would come. There's so many stumbling blocks, but Jesus is not one of them. There's so many reasons to get frustrated with the Western modern church, but Jesus is not one of them. We are imperfect. We make mistakes. Jesus is not one of them. He is perfect in every way. And he longs that we would stop thinking about ourselves and abusing other people to gain our own need and simply come to a place of obedience and choose to believe. Why did the people not enter rest in what we just heard? Why did they not enter when they saw six foot three, six foot four, six foot five? Why did they not enter? Hebrews says fear because there was no faith. Yes, they had no faith. And that produced fear. It says they didn't combine that promise with faith. It's such a simple, profound gospel. God has done the work. God has done it. And then it is simply just so believe. Believe. That's it. Just believe. Destroy striving once and for all because you can't get there. You can't. You won't meet the striving of your soul any other way only through faith. Ephesians says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It means God did the work, now believe. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Why? So that no one can boast. Jesus says it even better, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me is what Jesus is saying. I am the answer, not you. There's nothing you can do to drown out the cravings. They will keep coming back. In fact, if I have learned anything in my 37 years on this life, the more we try and fill it, with the stuff from aisle five, the bigger that hole gets. And we chase the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and that hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger and eventually we're left at a place where we're at the end of ourselves and thank God for it because just maybe the church would be obedient and be there saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus. I'm going rogue here, but I had another, I had another dream recently. Uh, and this was a great conviction for me in all of this where I, um, I was doing ministry in my dream with a ministry hero of mine and he was ministering to this young lady who was struggling and suffering and, and then he turned around and he goes, okay, it's your turn. And I was like, oh, this is full on. And as I went up there, the first thing I said to her was, do you want to come to church? And in that moment, the person who I was doing ministry with just looked at me and he had tears streaming down his face. And he goes, what did you do? I was like, what? And he said, just tell her about Jesus. Everything else takes care of itself. Jesus 
Jesus is the answer. Tell her about Je- what she needs is Jesus, not an institution. And when the church is focused solely on Jesus, when we bring everything to him and we bow our knee to him, then the church becomes a beautiful, glorious, powerful expression of his love and his grace and his mercy. We've got your Pentecostals, your Anglicans, we've got your loud ones and your quiet ones. We've got people who think that about that and people who think this about that. And everyone's got this, but we come together in one beautiful, unifying truth, which is that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus has brought me rest. And that's when the church becomes what it's supposed to be. A beacon of light to the world because it's not pointing to us, it's pointing to him. Long may that be true about us and our lives. The third thing that we see is a warning. And we said, you know, when we go through Hebrews, there's just warnings everywhere. And these warnings aren't supposed to make us tremble and, you know, hate ourselves. What they're supposed to do is fill us with faith. So we get to the warning, beginning of chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands. The NIV says, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. The ESV says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. This is a really interesting part of Scripture because the NIV gets it wrong, right? The NIV, the translation, be careful, is not what the Greek word here is. The Greek word is genuinely fear. I don't know about you, like when I think of be careful, I'm thinking of like there's a hot stove boiling and my kids are, just be careful of that, guys. Don't go near that. Fear is, don't touch it! (laughs) You know, there's a kid, like, walking up about to put, like, you know, one of our kids going and putting their hand on the fireplace. Don't! Grab it. There's genuine, like, stop it! It's dangerous! There's fear there. Like, it's a very different word that is being proclaimed here. What is he saying? Fear. He's saying, fear that you have been, that you have fallen short of the rest. Dave, that doesn't sound very biblical. What are you saying? I'm confused. Fear? Am I supposed to be afraid of my fear? Am I supposed to fear that I could be, like live my life in perpetual fear that I might fall away from faith? Is that what I'm supposed to do? That's not what this is saying. The Christian life, when you read the scripture and you read that the Bible interpret the Bible, over 360 times in scripture it proclaims fear not. Fear not. You know, the Christian life is a life of utter fearlessness. When the Spirit gets a hold of us, it says that we have not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Psalm 91, you will fear not the terror of night, nor the arrow by day, nor the pestilence that stalks, nor the plague that destroys. Fear not, fear not, fear not. We're supposed to be people of faith and be able to walk into other cultures and be able to walk to our next door neighbor even who is a bit different from us or, you know, maybe we're a bit scared. Of, like We're supposed to be able to just have fearlessness in all things. So why does it say fear? Beginning of all wisdom. Beginning of all wisdom. And I, for me, as I've been studying this, John Piper had this really helpful analogy. But I, I'm not John Piper and I can't say it like John Piper. So here's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say how I, in my words, and we'll see how it goes. But 
As I was thinking about this, I was just thinking about this image of uh, years ago when my, my oldest son, Bailey, was four years old, three, three, four years old, somewhere around there. And uh, he was at our, we're at home and I had Aaron Morris. Some of you know Aaron, he's from our evening service, one of our youth leaders. And Aaron Morris was over, hitting a bit of weights, talking about life, doing all that stuff. And then he went over the road to his car to get something. Now, we live on an 80 kilometer an hour road and we live on a bit of a bend. So it's a little bit frightening, right? He crosses the road. I'm just doing my own thing. The next thing he knows after being in his car, he turns around and there's Bailey, three, four-year-old Bailey, just walking across the road to get to him all by himself. So Aaron flips out, (laughs) grabs him, takes him back over, gives him to me, tells me what happened. And of course, I'm calm and collected. (laughs) Not. Like I, I just flip out. I get down on my knee. I grab him by the arms. I completely eyeball him. And I just ripped him a new one. Like I was you know, in grace and love. <laughs> Don't judge me. Sometimes as parents, emotion can get the better of you. Anyway, so I sit down. But I just like, I was like, what are you doing? Like that's a road. Don't go on the road. I was like, do you know how dangerous that is? And I was front. I'm like, don't ever, ever do that again. You only cross a road with an adult. And I was like, just a couple of minutes, just my own fear was coming out as I was just letting him know that that is not a place to go. Instilling fear in his heart about the road. Now, here's the thing. Two minutes after that, Bailey's playing freely and happily in the yard not carrying any fear. He's not spending his days, you know, freaking out about the road. He's not going to bed at night, freaking out about the road. He's not eating dinner and unable to eat because like, oh, mum, I'm so worried about the road. I'm just like consumed with fear and anxiety about what if I accidentally step on the road? That's not a reality for him. He's completely safe within our house. There's, There's no fear that is consuming him. Right? He's happy. It hasn't ruined his life. However, we're then kicking the footy out the front a month or two later. The ball goes down the driveway towards the road. He takes two steps as if he's going to get it, and then he just stops. And he looks over his shoulder and goes, hey, Dad, you better get that. Because he had fear of the consequence of all that could happen if he stepped on that road. It wasn't a consuming fear that filled his life. No, he was aware that that is dangerous and I must not go there. And so I will live in the fullness of freedom and joy and peace and security in the bounds of my home, but I won't touch the road. And I think this is what he's trying to say here is that actually you are filled with the fullness of who God is, full of faith, like complete confidence in what God has done. But we must be aware that if we start to strive, if we step on the road of religious good works and we think that that is going to be enough, we should have not just a gentle concern, but we should have this fear within us that says, no, this is not good. This will not lead to the filling of the soul craving. No, only God can fill it in Christ. That's as best as I can explain it. There's freedom and there's faith. And if we step on to that road or we're drawn to that road of striving, may that 
deep, profound reverence for who God is just strike us and say, hey, 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 what are you doing? This isn't good for you. Come back to the pastures of grace and know that it's in here that is everlasting life and fullness and peace and hope. Band, you can come up and we'll close. But here's what I want you to see. Let's go back to Matthew 11. And here's what the author of Hebrews wants to see, wants you to see, wants me to see, wants us to see. Is quite simply there is a craving for the soul, for every soul. And that craving is met in one way, and Jesus says it, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So I'm left with a question that simply says, are you hungry? Is your heart hungry? Is there a lack of rest in your soul? And where are you filling it? And my prayer for all of us, myself included, is that we would know that rest, that peace, that shalom, that passes all understanding and is available, yes, right now, today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the today. In Christ, by his spirit, today we can know that peace and know that it points to the perfection and the fulfillment of that rest in eternity on the day he returns and then all striving will cease and every tear will cease. Every pain will cease as creation will again exist in the perfection of the seventh day rest of God. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of that faith. And we look under him and we come to him and we know that he will give us rest and we celebrate and we pray and we earnestly long for that day when that rest will come to all creation. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand to our feet. And I just feel today uh, to pray for some weary souls, to pray for some restless souls. So I'm going to actually just do something. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes where you're at. And we invite you just on, uh, if you just want me to pray for you right now, we're going to actually invite people to come forward later and pray after the service if you want to share more of that and, and have more um, of that one-on-one prayer. But right now, I just want to pray. If there's anyone here who you just feel like you're in that place where there's no rest in my soul, I need that rest. I, I'm feeling it from aisle five. And I want to fill it with the peace.
person of Jesus Christ. If that's you, just pop your hand up so I know who I'm praying for. I'd love just to pray with you. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, you can pop your hands down. Let's just pray together, church. Loving Heavenly Father, we just thank you for each and every one of these people and for all those people who are feeling that but didn't raise their hand. Father God, we just pray, Father, for the profound peace that passes all understanding to come upon each and every one of us. Father, for your shalom to abide as we abide in you. Father, we pray for that rest, that we would come to Christ and Christ alone. God, help us to see when we're striving. Help us to see when we're stepping onto the road of religious good works, when we're stepping onto the road of trying to fill that soul craving with everything else except for you. Help us to see and help us, Lord, to be alarmed by it, to to hear this cry that says, what are you doing? Return to the grace of God. It is by grace you have been saved. We pray that grace. We pray that favor. We pray just a refreshing of your spirit right now. A rest, yes, a genuine rest. A confidence in Christ that we may have never known before. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that fear is the beginning of wisdom. And thank you that when we are existing in that deep reverence of you, we will fear no evil for you are with us. That nothing can snatch us out of your hand. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. What security we have in believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We give you praise and honor. We worship you. In Jesus' name. And all the believers said, Amen. Let's sing. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.